Hello, everybody, and welcome into episode number 112 of the Bible 2021 podcast. We're reading Job 42 today, and our focus is on the power of intercession. So we are a daily podcast that goes about 10 minutes or so. We read one chapter of the Bible a day and discuss it five days a week. We're in the New Testament twice a week. We are in the Old Testament, and that's where we are today, reading the last chapter of Job. Check us out on our website, Bible2021.com. Love to hear from listeners and love to hear your questions. You can also get a transcript of the show there. Let's get into Job. Now, Job is a fascinating book of the Bible, and it's acclaimed as a classic work of literature, even by secular and atheistic authorities. The theological truths it teaches are really incredibly deep. Now, last year on the Bible Reading Podcast, we read through the whole book, uh, but this year we're only going to read the first and last chapter. So allow me to summarize Job for us if it's been a while since you've read it. In Job 1 and 2, God points out Job is a great man of character and godliness, and Satan scoffs at Job, saying he's only good because he's blessed. God allows Satan then to basically destroy God's life, his kids, his health, his wealth. Satan expects Job to curse God and turn away from him, and even Job's wife tells him to curse God and die, but Job doesn't do that. In fact, the whole book, Job does not sin. He questions He struggles, he laments, he cries out. He makes a lot of wrong statements, as we'll see today, but he does not sin according to God. Job's three friends, however, are quite a different story. They come to Job and speak falsely about his situation and about God. Though they have no idea of the real truth, they confidently claim that Job's Job's troubles are likely the result of some kind of sin. They jump to conclusions and are miserable comforters to Job, as he says, making things worse rather than better. Friends, don't be like Job's friends. If you know somebody going through a tragedy, just be there for them. You don't have to solve the mystery of why. You don't have to tell them why God has done what he has done. You don't have to make things up and spout them out confidently. You will be... No help if you do something like that, and you may, as we'll see in a moment, kindle God's wrath against you for your pride and lies. Sadly, his three friends started out in a great place, as GotQuestions.org notes. Job's friends did at least three things right that can be seen in Job chapter 2. First, they came to him when he was suffering. Second, they empathized with him. The Bible says they began to weep aloud and they tore their robes and sprinkled dust on their head. And third, they spent time with them. Job 2.13 says they were with him for seven days before they offered their advice. They commiserated with their friend in silence. But they had to go and open their mouths and give their opinions. And friends, that is a dangerous business. Well, let's read the concluding chapter and then we will discuss what we learn and talk in particular about intercession. Job chapter 42, verse 1 in the Christian Standard Bible. Then Job replied to the Lord, I know that you can do anything and no plan of yours can be thwarted. You asked, who is this who conceals my counsel with ignorance? Surely I spoke about things I did not understand, things too wondrous for me to know. You said, listen now and I will speak. When I question you, you will inform me. I had heard reports about you, but now my eyes have seen you. 
Therefore I reject my words and am sorry for them. I am dust and ashes. After the Lord had finished speaking to Job, he said to Eliphaz the Temanite, I am angry with you and your two friends, for you have not spoken the truth about me as my servant Job has. Now take seven bulls and seven rams, go to my servant Job and offer a burnt offering for yourselves. Then my servant Job will pray for you. I will surely accept his prayer and not deal with you as your folly deserves, for you have not spoken the truth about me as my servant Job has. Then Eliphaz the Temanite, Bildad the Shuite, and Zophar the Namanite went and did as the Lord had told them, and the Lord accepted Job's prayer. After Job had prayed for his friends, the Lord restored his fortunes and doubled his previous possessions. All his brothers, sisters, and former acquaintances came to him and dined with him in his house. They sympathized with him and comforted him concerning all the adversity the Lord had brought on him. Each one gave him a piece of silver and a gold earring. So the Lord blessed the last part of Job's life more than the first. He owned 14,000 sheep and goats, 6,000 camel, 1,000 yoke of oxen, and 1,000 female donkeys. He also had seven sons and three daughters. He named his first daughter Jemima, his second Keziah, and his third Karen Hapuk. No women were as beautiful as Job's daughters could be found in all of the land, and their father granted them an inheritance with their brothers. Job lived 140 years after this and saw his children and their children to the fourth generation. Then Job died old and full of days. So if you've read the book of Job before, you'll know that there are actually four friends of Job who talk to him. Eliphaz, Bildad, Zophar are the three that are condemned by God, as we just read in Job 42, and they're barely spared at the end of the book. But there is one more friend, a mysterious sort of friend, a younger friend who is not condemned by God. His name is Elihu, and he rebukes Job's friends, points out where Job was mistaken, and offers a wonderful defense of the goodness and justice of God, saying things like, It's unthinkable that God would do wrong, that the Almighty would pervert justice. That's Job 34.12. Now, Elihu's name means, My God is he. And though his speech in Job is the longest, he's not condemned by God for his words in Job 42. So some have speculated that Elihu was a Christophany, which is a pre-incarnate appearance of Jesus before uh, he was born in the manger in Bethlehem. But that's kind of a speculation. Now, at the end of the book, we see that Job is blessed greatly. It sounds like Job's three friends, though, were set to be punished greatly. But God tells Job to pray, to intercede for his friends, and then God forgives them. Intercession is a powerful thing. It's a topic that's not talked about enough in certain parts of the church. When we engage in intercession like Job did, we intervene on the part of another person. Over and over in Scripture, we see examples of how powerful intercession is. As James tells us, the prayer of a righteous person is powerful in its effect. Intercession makes a difference. It's history-changing. You and I should intercede for people more, praying on behalf of people. It is a command in various places in the Bible, like 1 Timothy 2, 1, which says, first of all, then I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for all people. And when we intercede, we join with Jesus in his current and ongoing work for his church, because 
He always is living to intercede for us, as Hebrews and Romans 8 tells us. Romans 8.34 says, Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, he was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. That's good news. Let me close with some great quotes on intercession to help encourage us to the wonderful duty and call and joy of prayer. Charles Spurgeon says, Oh, priceless grace, if you, believer, know how to ask in faith, you may hand out to your brothers wealth more precious than the gold of Ophir. For intercession is the key of the ivory palaces wherein are contained the boundless treasures of God. Saints in intercession reach a place where angels cannot stand. Those holy beings rejoice over repenting sinners, but we do not read of their being admitted as supplicants for the saints. Yet we, imperfect as we are, have this favor. We are permitted to open our mouth before the Lord for the sick and for the tried, for the troubled and for the downcast, with the assurance that whatsoever we shall ask in prayer, believing we shall receive. Ian Bound says, pray for all men. We usually pray more for things than we do for people. Our prayer should be thrown across their pathway as they rush in their downward course to a lost eternity. Andrew Murray says, Each time before you intercede, be quiet first and worship God in his glory. Think of what he can do and how he delights to hear the prayers of his redeemed people. Think of your place and privilege in Christ and expect great things. Martin Lloyd-Jones says, There are certain elements that always come out in all of the great biblical prayers, and the first characteristic of Moses' great prayer is its boldness, its confidence. There's no hesitation here. There's a quiet confidence. Let me use the term, there is a holy boldness. This is the great characteristic of all the prayers that have ever prevailed. John Newton says, some of you are like Abraham. The Lord reveals to you how he will deal with impenitent sinners, but you have fled to Jesus and are accepted. It is your part to intercede like Abraham for others, to mourn for sin and to stand in the breach while there is yet hope. Finally, Andrew Murray says, Beware in your prayer above everything of limiting God, not only by unbelief, but by fancying that you know what he can do. Expect unexpected things above all that we ask or think. Each time you intercede, be quiet first and worship God in his glory. Think of what he can do, of how he delights to hear Christ, of your place in Christ, and expect great things. Amen. Friends, I hope this is encouraging you and me to give ourselves more to prayer. Let's end with our Bible verse of April, James 4, 6, but he gives greater grace. Therefore, he says, God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Good day to you, friends, and Godspeed.